he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Good morning and welcome to our Good Friday service at Evergreen Heights. This morning, followers of Jesus across the world are gathering together, whether online or in person, to reflect on and to celebrate the most significant event that's ever taken place in human history. The event that changed everything forever, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, if we're honest, it seems kind of strange to celebrate something as awful as the crucifixion of somebody that we love and follow and have given our lives to. It almost seems ironic that this day that marks Jesus' death is called Good Friday. On the surface, it doesn't seem like there's all that much that's good about it. And when the disciples went to bed on the night after Jesus' death on the cross, it wouldn't have felt like a very good Friday. But we know and we've experienced the reality that on the cross, something bigger and more powerful was going on than anybody could have realized at the time. On the cross, we see the greatness of God's love on full display. On the cross, we see how far God was willing to go to restore our relationship to him and to bring us into his kingdom. On the cross, Jesus took on all of the sin and evil of our broken world and he defeated it once and for all so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free. In his book, The Day the Revolution Began, N.T. Wright tells a story about three boys who decided that they were going to play a trick on their local priest. So these boys went to confessional and they confessed to all kinds of wild stories that weren't actually true. And then after making their confessions, two of them ran away, but the third one was left to deal with the priest's response. Now the priest knew what the boys were up to. He wasn't fooled. But instead of scolding the third boy, who was Jewish, he gave him penance to perform. He told him to go across to the far side of the church and to sit in front of the crucifix that was hanging there 
and then to look at the depiction of Jesus on the cross and to say, you did all of that for me and I don't care, three times. So the boy did it. He got up and he went over and he looked at the crucifix and he said, you did all of that for me and I don't care. He said it once and then he said it a second time, but he couldn't bring himself to say it again. He broke down and he left that church a changed person. And then he grew up to become the Archbishop of Paris and he often shared this story of this life-changing encounter that he had with Jesus as he looked at the depiction of him hanging on the cross that day as a young boy who was really just trying to prank the local priest. Jesus' death on the cross has the power to impact us in ways that words can't even capture. And so this morning, we're gonna spend some time focusing our hearts and our minds on the cross. And as we continue in our service this morning, I wanna encourage you to be fully present as we sing, as we take communion, as we listen to scripture together, focus on the words. Let your heart be impacted by the incredible love of God and the sacrifice of Christ that rescues us from the power of sin and death and brings us into a life of forgiveness and freedom and wholeness. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful beyond words for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you that you were willing to give it all so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could experience forgiveness and freedom and life in your kingdom. Open each one of our hearts this morning to what you want to do in us as we reflect on the story of your crucifixion. Amen.
When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, Passover begins in two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. At that same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare me, my body, for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed.
On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? He replied, One of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, You have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you, in my Father's kingdom. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. I stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. 
When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, My friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us? and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. 
Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, You have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year to, during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, any one of the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you the king of the Jews? Pilate asked, for he had realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, Then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him! Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him! So, to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. No shadow you won't light up, or mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, or lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, or mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, or lie you won't tear down. Coming after me, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the ninety-nine. And I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Love of God, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99, and I couldn't earn it, I don't.
deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldier seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it to behind Jesus. Two others, both criminals, who led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they named him, nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for this, his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with the words, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Proving it by saving yourself, and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today will be, you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was about noon, and the darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99, and I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless Well, here we are heading into another Easter weekend in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Participating in a Good Friday service online, singing worship songs from our living rooms, and trying to remember that despite the fact that physically we're separate and scattered throughout our community, in a deeper sense, we're united in the spirit 
and gathering together as we take this all in. And as awesome as it is that we can do this and as thankful as we are for technology, and as comfortable as we may be sitting on our couches, maybe even wearing our pajamas, there's no denying the fact that this is not how any of us would choose to be celebrating Easter weekend. As we've been getting closer to Easter, I've been reflecting a lot on where we were last year at this same time. And I'll never forget the emergency board meeting that we had on the evening of March 13th, 2020, to decide as a leadership team how to respond to everything that was unfolding with the COVID-19 pandemic. And the whole situation seemed so surreal. It was so hard to believe that we were having the conversation we were having and needing to make the decisions that we were needing to make. But it had become increasingly clear throughout that day that we really didn't have any choice but to cancel our in-person gatherings. And so by the end of the evening, we had made the incredibly difficult decision to switch to online services for, get this, three weeks. Isn't that adorable? Three weeks was the length of time that we had initially planned to take a break from in-person gatherings. And as difficult as that decision was and as strange as it felt to cancel our services, when we looked at the calendar and plotted it out, we realized that the first time we would be back in our church building together would be Easter weekend, or at least that was what we thought at the time. And so as difficult as it was to imagine going three weeks without church as we knew it, we thought that it was gonna be so powerful to finally be able to gather together again to celebrate Easter, the most significant day on the Christian calendar, where we reflect on the most significant event that ever happened in human history. Well, we all know how that went, don't we? And here we are again on Easter weekend, a year later, still in the thick of this thing, heading into another lockdown. If there's one thing that has been abundantly clear over the course of the past year, it's that things in this world are not as they should be. In our culture, under normal circumstances, we're actually really good at distracting ourselves from that reality. But over the past year, it's been impossible to ignore the brokenness in our world. I mean, we've seen it in the impact of COVID-19, in physical suffering and sickness, in the loss of loved ones, and in the trauma experienced by people who are doing frontline healthcare work. But it's shown up in all kinds of other ways too. There's been all kinds of justice issues that have come up uh, over the past year, from the conditions in our long-term care homes, to the way that society has been dealing with the poor and the marginalized in our communities, to racism and how it still shows up in our society. We've seen all kinds of political upheaval over the past year. There's been violence, there's been division, there's been unbelievable polarization between people. It seems like more than ever, we're struggling with how to get along with people who see things differently than us. We've seen relationships break down. We've seen crisis situations within families who just can't hold it all together anymore. We've seen people dealing with loneliness and mental health challenges and cynicism and burnout and despair. And we've all had to face our own weaknesses and failures 
and our, our tendency to fight for self-preservation as well. I mean, do you remember the toilet paper hoarding from last year? We've all had moments during this season where we're not at our best. Things in this world are not as they should be. Now, I promise I'm not bringing this all up to be negative or to try to make sure that everyone walks away today feeling depressed. I'm bringing it up because I think we actually have an opportunity to come by Good Friday a little bit more honestly this year. Good Friday gives us permission to face the world as it really is. One of the things I love about scripture is that it always tells the truth. It doesn't sugarcoat things. It doesn't try to pretend like everything is sunshine and rainbows all the time. It tells the truth that God made the world good, that he designed us to live in perfect relationship with him, but that we turned away from God and now we see the impact of sin and death all around us. Things are not as they should be. But Good Friday also offers us profound hope because God didn't leave us in our broken condition. In fact, he entered right into the thick of it. We don't have a God who's far off and distant. We have a God who loves us so much that he came to be with us and to experience everything that we experience as humans. Jesus faced pain and loss. He felt the sting of rejection and loneliness. He experienced injustice and betrayal. So I don't know what challenges you're facing right now or what struggles you've had to navigate throughout all of this, but whatever it is, we can know for sure that God is with us. We have a God who enters into the most broken and seemingly hopeless situations in our lives. He's close, he's present, he loves us, and he knows what it's like to suffer. But it doesn't end there. Jesus' death on the cross offers us hope because through it, we have been reconciled to God. On the cross, Jesus took on all of the sin of the world so that it could be defeated once and for all. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. On the cross, Jesus took on our brokenness so that we could be made whole. He took on our bondage so that we could be set free. He took on our hopelessness so that we could be people who live in hope. He took on our sickness so that we could be healed. He took on evil so that we could know and experience goodness. He took on everything that once separated us from God so that we could be people who live in God's perfect love. When Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross, it didn't seem like a very good Friday to his followers. It seemed like everything had gone wrong. It seemed like all hope was lost, but we know that this isn't where the story ends. Jesus doesn't stay in the tomb. He's risen from the dead, but we'll get there Sunday. What seemed like the end on Good Friday, what looked like a hopeless situation, turned out to be the very thing that God used to set things right once and for all. 
as Jesus breathes his last breath and says, it is finished, we see the incredible power of God's love to overcome sin and death. The cross is the source of all of our hope and our freedom to live in the fullness of God's kingdom. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would know that this is real. This isn't just a story. It's not just a churchy holiday that we celebrate once a year. This is real. Christ has set us free. We can experience God's presence and his love and new life because Jesus died for us. One of the final things that Jesus did with his disciples before his crucifixion was share a meal with them. It was the Passover meal, which was a tradition that Jewish people participated in to celebrate the freedom of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. But Jesus gave this meal a new meaning. He told his disciples that it would now represent a new kind of freedom, freedom for all people from the slavery of sin and death. So this morning, we are going to share in communion together and to reflect on the new covenant that we have through Jesus' death on the cross. But before we do that, to prepare our hearts, let's take a few minutes now to worship and to center ourselves in God's presence.
The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke the bread 
And he said, this is my body that's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for your body broken for us. As we partake in your body today, I pray that we would remember the cross and the sacrifice that you made so that we could live. Bless this body in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you take this with me? In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for the shedding of your blood on a Roman cross. We thank you for sacrificing your body and giving your blood for us so that we could live, so that we could be in a relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing over this cup that as we partake in it, that we would remember. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you take the cup with me?
We are so glad that you were able to join us this morning to celebrate Good Friday together. As we continue on with the rest of our day and our weekend, let's continue to reflect on Jesus' death on the cross and the incredible reality of God's love for us. We're going to close our time together with a reading from the book of Romans. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God.